of course, you have to decide as a company if you're willing to invest in localization. And when you do, make sure that your product team is designing for translation as well. Don't hard code everything to only suit English because you're going to run into issues with sentence structures and variables because languages do it so differently. So make sure that your code is as open and flexible as possible. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. My journey with the Get Your Guide started a few months ago when we basically did the first UX writing meetup in Berlin. It was a really nice event. More than 100 people showed up and listened to us speaking in our panel about UX writing. Good stuff. Since then, that company raised, I think, almost $500 million and they grew exponentially. They moved from their offices in Berlin to a huge, some kind of a castle, I would say, and they scaled their content development teams. They have a very unique structure for the localization team and the UX writers and the product teams and the marketing teams and the dynamics between all of those teams is super interesting. So I've spoke to Maddie Thompson. She's already a good friend of mine. She is a language specialist at Get Your Guide. And she told me all about their localization processes and how does it feel to scale a content team. So have fun and don't forget to follow our weekly newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Writers in Tech a podcast, the podcast brought to you by UX Running Hub. Today I'm in a very special place. The last time I've been here, it was in Berlin. We had a meetup together. It was pretty cool, pretty successful meetup about UX writing. I think it was maybe the first UX writing meetup in Berlin and they hosted it and it was a lot of fun. We had pizza. And we also recorded a podcast episode, but I had some technical difficulties and we need to re-record that episode again. So I'm happy, very happy to be here again, to be invited to this place again. And actually we're not in the same place because since our last uh, meetup, they raised 500, more than $500 million, I believe, or something like that. And now they are in a castle. The headquarters are in a castle in the middle of Berlin, and I am blown away. How are you, Meta? I'm very good. Good to see you, Yuval. Good to see you too. I'm super happy to be here uh, again. Yeah, let's give it a second go. <laughs> let's give it a second go. I'll, I'm ready to give it also a third and a fourth go, if needed. You know, cool. Hopefully, we wouldn't need to. Hopefully, this time we're going to need it. So, get your guide. What is get your guide? Get Your Guide is a booking platform for travel activities where people can use our website or our app to book travel activities to activities all over the world. So it can be skip the line tickets to museums, or it can be guided walking tours around a city or a day trip, safari. It can be anything to help them make incredible memories on their vacation. Great. And I really like the comprehension of um, 
saying that if 15 years ago we had traveling agencies, so Get Your Guide will be the platform that will help you to book, to book experiences wherever you go, all over the world. And something very unique about Get Your Guide is their localization efforts. So they localize their platform to different markets. Meta, for example, is localizing the platform to the Danish market. Correct. And I would love to learn more about your background. So what is your background before uh, you started working for uh, Get Your Guide? Well, I've been with Get Your Guide for a year and four months now. Before that, I worked at a Danish startup back in Denmark within educational technology. I worked as a communication coordinator and I did all kinds of things as you typically do in a startup. I did email marketing, social media, pitch decks, blogging. I even did customer service. But what I loved most about all of my tasks there was sitting with the product team and the UX designer and really creating the product, all the, the copy for the UI and doing user testing. I really fell in love with that whole process. And I sat down with our graphic designer one day and I said, man, I wish there was a job where you're a copywriter, but only for product. And then sometime after that, I came across an article online that introduced UX writing. And I just went crazy like, oh, that's it. That's exactly what I mean. It's a thing. So I started learning more about it and I joined your Facebook group. Microcopy and UX writing. Thanks for joining. Yes, thank you for having me. <laughs> and long story short, I ended up in Berlin and I found out that it's difficult to land a job as a UX writer when you're not native English. But I found a very sweet spot here at Get Your Guide where I get to localize the user interface into Danish. That's Amazing, and I'm sure that many listeners could relate and because they're also not native English speakers, even though your English is amazing. And Thank I'm you. also not a native English speaker, and I find it some kind of a it's a it's an obstacle, it's a know? challenge, right? A challenge yeah, because you know, we need to think a little bit more, it takes us a little bit more time to, yeah, it doesn't come as natural, you know, right. and, and it's more typos for me, yeah, more typos, <laughs> uh, little bit of problems. I'm fortunate to work with the great writers, so that that uh, helped me with that. So, thanks for that. But what would you say is the difference between? a language expert or UI localization specialist and the UX writer? The difference is that the UX writer is part of crafting the copy from the bottom, mm -hmm. part of doing the user testing, doing A-B tests for certain functions or new features, whereas the language specialist takes that copy from the UX writer and has to localize it. So we localize text that has already been written, so to speak. And we have, as language specialists, we are not part of that whole process of doing user research and creating the features. So that sometimes makes it difficult because we're not, we don't always have the full context or the full product knowledge in order to really transfer the English intention. So that's one of the challenges. But basically, we localize what the UX writer has already written. That's the most simple way to put it. And I think that also, it's not that you're not doing research, but the fact that you are an expert in the Danish market means that you understand better what it means to, to have like native uh, messaging to this country. 
right? Exactly. I know how Danes think, how we talk, uh, what would be natural Danish language, and how do I see get your guides tone of voice sort of merge in with Danish culture. That is my task. Mm -hmm. And it's a really interesting task. Right. <laughs> it's fun. Um, because, yeah, maybe people don't know this. So I think I want to explain what the difference is between translation and localization. Because many people think that localization is just a fancy word for translation. Mm -hmm. But it's not. Um, translation is part of what we do. It's part of localization. Mm -hmm. But Localization is one step further. It pays extra attention to the target culture. So that's, of course, what I keep in mind. Um, we cannot simply translate uh, something literally into our own native languages. We have to really look at what is the meaning and then detach it from the concrete English words and create the sentence from scratch as if it had been written in our own language from, from the beginning. Right. And as the end user that, for example, used an app in Israel that was localized, I can say that once a platform is localized, you feel so much more confident about using it, about the experience with it. You feel that uh, it's especially for you and it's kind of a customized experience. And right now there is explosion in the localization market. And I can see that Netflix was uh, localized to Hebrew with its own kind of uh, unique cultural references. Netflix, Airbnb, Booking.com, Facebook. It's like big companies also like Get Your Guide understand that localization is the future. And, uh, I would love to know about the structure of your team because I know that you have many uh, localization uh, language specialists here and also you outsource uh, translators that you specifically manage the Danish market translators and you also need to work with the UX writers that probably do the research and as you said working from the bottom up so I would love to know more about the organizational structure uh, in Get Your Bay. Right well the UX writers are part of the product department and us in localization are part of the content department. It, it doesn't mean anything in particular, but it means that there's a handover of tasks. So the UX writers really have to write with translation in mind and provide a lot of context and screenshots and preferably some links to see the text live when they hand over a task to localization. The UX writers are not the only ones who who request translation from us. It can be any department because everything goes through localization at Get Your Guide in order to enter our 19 localized markets. Um, and we have sort of three core areas that we localize. First one is our UI, which is where we work with the UX writers. We also localize our marketing. So there we work with the marketing teams, of course. And this, the third pillar is our inventory. So the actual activities that, that our customers can book. And these, I mean, we have over 40,000 of these activities. So the inventory endless. is huge. It's endless. It's, it's growing every day. So there's no way for us as language specialists, for us in-house to keep up with that. So that's where we have a large pool of freelancers. We manage freelance translators. I think anything from between 10 to 60 freelancers per language, depending on the size of the of the language market. So there are a lot of freelancers to, to handle and they 
take care of all the activity translations. And we make sure to train them and to really help them adjust to the tone of voice, fit it to get your guide and to proofread. And But yeah, they sort of take care of, of the factory of translating our, our activities. That's uh, amazing. And this is a question that always comes up in the group and I always tag you and I hope it's not uh, that you're not mad at me if I tag you all the time. <laughs> But now we can answer it once and for all and then I'll just uh, paste a link to this episode. But so localization tools afterwards. But beforehand, I want, I want to speak about the voice and tone, the content style guide. How does it work exactly? Or do you have some kind of uh, one source of truth for content and then you localize that one? How, it's, how is it working exactly and get your guide? Well, it's a work in progress. Of course. And we're growing and the UX writing team is growing. Our team is growing. The marketing team is growing. And the style guide that we used to use doesn't really apply to all teams anymore. So we have specific UX writing guidelines for English. And we also have like an official English style guide for the general tone of voice. But of course, you, you have different... wordings and different tones, whether, you know, if when you speak in marketing terms or when you speak about UI, there's not as much playfulness and, and jargon in the UI because it's supposed to be intuitive and simple and straightforward. So there's a guideline to, to, to write that. Whereas the marketing is where we throw in all of our, you know, all the selling points, <laughs> copywriting, the more fun, playful stuff that we really love mm -hmm. to do. And each of these guidelines have been sort of given to us as language specialist for us to merge into one language specific guideline that we can then use ourselves mm -hmm. and that we can give to our local freelancers right. so that they know sort of what to what to feel when they're translating for forget your guide it's amazing it's very impressive so i can i feel like there is a content standard for the team. Okay, the guidance, like on the target, there is a voice and tone on the target for the marketing team, which is the, the seven, the seven. Yes. And the, the very branded copy. copy yes. Our brand should be true. brand itself outside and then the localization content target. And all of them are under the same umbrella. You can find all of them in the same place as a, uh, as a language specialist or um, it's spread apart like in the organization it's it's actually spread out and maybe it's something we should <laughs> look uh, look into unifying i'm not sure but well it, it works for now so i guess we're doing something right <laughs> but whenever i need to write marketing copy i look at the marketing guidelines written by the marketing team and then i adapt that to what I consider to be the Danish get your guide voice. And I do the same for the UI. So the style guides live with the teams that created them. And of course, the language specific guidelines live with us. Um, we each have a freelancer site where we put up our glossaries and our style guides and where we really break down what do the activities consist of? How do you write a title the right way? All of these guidelines are placed in one language language specific site for our freelancers to to look at and we of course use that site ourselves because we of course have to we created the okay. style guide so we have to live it also so i would say that every language 
let's talk about Japanese, for example. So, and by the way, I've heard that the Japanese localizations are doing pretty good. They are. We finally have an in-house Japanese specialist, Nozomi, and she's incredible. One of the localization manager here at GitHub had posted in our group is something that related to the Japanese localization. And it was amazing like how much people were showing interest in localization to the Japanese market. And then we published a newsletter only dedicated to the Japanese and, and Asian uh, markets and how we should localize to them. Yes, because it's very different from what you consider usual localization. Exactly. It looks way different. We can't imagine how it to them looks <laughs> simple and intuitive, but, but it does. And that, that's just the beauty of localization that there's not a one-size-fits-all. It's so different from language to language to culture, how, what, what's actually user-friendly. And I, I love that. Right. And each localization aspect need to, if I understood correctly, to build their own voice and tone for their own culture. Exactly. Which is amazing. And Moana also told me the localization to the Japanese market was increased by 700% in one year. Which is amazing, like the power of localization is so super impressive. Exactly. Which means that it was the right the right choice. And as soon as you make it available to people in their own language, they are more likely to adopt it because they feel more safe, they feel it's more reliable. If you do it right, because you can I've also dealt with sites and apps myself who have like tried to localize and failed at it, and then it it just looks like a scam. So you really have to be mindful of how you localize, because it's not just about localizing for the sake of localizing, you have to, to do it right. Otherwise, it's, it's going to fail and it's a wasted effort. What did you think that they did wrong when they failed? Like what, what was successful about it? They had probably used machine translation too much and not had an actual person review it. Machine translation has come very far, right. but it still is not a person and it doesn't regard culture in the same way. It doesn't really pick up on humor and, and punchlines and stuff if you want to integrate that into your, your brand voice. Mm -hmm. So that's just, I've seen some very unfortunate examples and it just makes me like, you know, coming from Scandinavia, I think 90% of Scandinavians understand English well enough. Um, so we don't necessarily need a localized website we we would actually rather navigate a consistent english website rather than a poorly localized <laughs> website um but that's of course just because we generally have a high level of english whereas the japanese market not as many people speak english so this the minute you localize and do it successfully of course, the product is going to take off. And that our Japanese story was really just a beautiful example of that. This is super interesting. And also, they say that you can build trust and it will take you many years, even between you and things. But it's enough to do like, it's enough to have one act and then you don't trust a person or anything. You can break it in a second. In a second. And it, it's enough to have like, a small typo or like that structure of sentences that I would say, okay, I'm not going to use this platform ever again. I actually have an example from when I joined Get Your Guide. I noticed on the website that the way we displayed currencies was kind of a mix between showing the currency 
symbol and the currency code. You know, there's the dollar sign, the euro sign. Some currencies have their own symbol. But in Denmark, we use krona. And we, we don't have a currency symbol. We just have like an abbreviation of krona, which is KR full stop. The same does uh, Sweden and Norway. We use our currencies are named the same krona. Swedish krona, Norwegian krona, yeah, <laughs> just to make it difficult. But the way we displayed it on our website was clearly made to suit like showing the Australian dollar, Singaporean dollar, US dollar, but it didn't work for Danish. And I looked at how we displayed prices and I was just like, man, this just looks so machine made. It looks so shady. I I hate when I go to a website and they display the the currency differently. And that's that's just how I know that they have not had an in-house person. So that was like my first mission at Get Your Guide to like clean up how we displayed titles. And then we ran into the issue that since we have three countries with the same currency abbreviation, then it could be a bit ambiguous for customers. You know, if they just saw KR, they couldn't directly see if they were looking at a Danish price or Norwegian or Swedish. Sure. Exactly. So in that sense, we, we went with the next best thing, which was to show the currency code. So DKK, SEK and OK, I think. Sorry if, I'm, if I said it wrong. And now it's so clear for the customers which currency they're looking at, and they're looking at a consistent way of showing the price. And that was what was important for me. So, yeah. That's amazing. If you want to... Okay, so we have listeners, they're working product teams. They're trying to move things around big companies. It's difficult, we know that. And... What would be your tip for them if they want to do something like that, uh, which is a localization effort, how they should present it, who, to negotiate, who should they talk to? In my case, I talked to a product manager and she was just like, sure, we weren't aware of this. Thank you for raising the point. I mean, and, and how could they know? It was They didn't have an in-house Danish language specialist before I joined. So there was no one there to really look at the user experience from a Danish point of view. And so my advice is just to voice it up. I mean, if you are a language specialist in a company and you see something that's off, that, that doesn't give a localized feeling for your, for your culture, then, then raise your voice and say exactly what the consequence is, that this is a bad user experience. It makes our website look shady. And here's why. And here's how Airbnb and Booking.com and anyone else displays the currency. And you can sort of benchmark what other how do you say big websites how they do it and they might not even do it well themselves hey that's no guarantee nobody's perfect but if you see something that's off fix it and just go directly to the product team and say hey we might not be able to hard code something that to, to, to cater specifically to this local currency but can we do like um, how do you say a quick fix that at least makes it look trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And so really just raise your voice because you're the language expert. You're the only one to speak for your market. So, so just do it. That's amazing. Super motivational. And you know, communication is the key. Voice up, say what you have to say, don't be shy about it. This is how we make companies go. Exactly. There's a chance that I have a question from a person that I told her that I'm going to interview you. She told me that she might have some questions, so I'm going to check that. Yeah, I wonder what the pitfalls are in implementation. Kind of, let's say we have a great style guide and everybody's on board, the company's on board, 
we had everything worked out and then we want to go ahead and implement it into the code as independently as possible. So what pitfalls are there in terms of uh, implementation into the code? Thanks a lot. That's very tech-specific. I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer that. But of course, you have to decide as a company if you're willing to invest in localization. And when you do, make sure that your product team is designing for translation as well. Don't hard code everything to only suit English because you're going to run into issues with sentence structures and variables because languages do it so differently. So make sure that your code is as open and flexible as possible. I know that's been an issue for us sometimes. And as language specialists, you really have to get creative sometimes to work around it if you're dealing with something that's hard-coded and it just doesn't make sense to structure it or place it in that way in your language. But then you can only do as much as you as you can. I want to ask you a little bit about the tools. Okay, so we talked about the content style. So you, you built the Danish content style, yes. And there is a website that's the freelance. How many freelance uh, translator are you managing? 26. Whoa. So <laughs> uh, they can go to that website and they will have your guidance for how they should translate different experiences or content uh, or the marketing materials. I'm not sure exactly what they're translating, but that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But now I want to talk a little bit about the implementation tools, the localization tools, the content management management systems that you're using. This is the question that so many people are asking in the group. And I don't know almost nothing about it because I don't have enough experience to know. But I would love to know about it. I would love to know more about localization tooling as well, actually. <laughs> But for now, we have our in-house built platform for content management, which is called GYG Admin. And that's where we do all of our get text. So all of the fixed strings on the website are translated there. Much of our marketing copy is translated there in get text. So that's like our own in-house built platform. Mm -hmm. For app strings, we're actually in the process of figuring out a new workflow that works well for us, for UX writers and for the apps team, the engineers, because we have to cater to both operating systems, iOS and Android. And so how do we create a process where it's very easy for the engineers to plug into the translation tool that we're using? And we have been using a tool called Crowdin before, which I personally really liked. It's very intuitive, very also, easy. There isn't a, a, a separation between the web tool, which is Get Your Guide Admin, and tools that are native apps. Am I correct? Yes. Great. So Ideally, we would have one tool to do everything, but that's a localization dream, and we'll get there someday. But for now... Our tooling is quite split up, but that's just the way to go. We want to go with whatever tool is best for the specific task we're trying to do. And right now, we, we haven't found one platform that does it all for us. So, yeah, that's where we are currently. If there are uh, any entrepreneurs in the audience, you have here a really great idea. So Absolutely. If you're a localization information architect, kind of, I don't even know what this position would be, but uh, yeah, get in touch. <laughs> but what kind of problem would they try to solve? Like one uh, place, one 
platform, which would be like Get Your Bad Admin, but also like, uh, what was the name of the other? Um, uh, Crowdin. Crowdin. And it would be all-in-one tool for localization teams. And what I did mention is that our activity translation, the tool that our freelancers use, is called XTM. which is made for mass translation and is really good for the freelancers to just go in and do their thing and translate a bunch of activities. So we actually have three, yeah, we have th- sort of three tools. And ideally, yeah, it would be good to unify them in, in one tool that also regards maybe project management to follow the flow of tasks and the progress. But it's, it's difficult to find and every company is different. And yeah. What tool? Out of all three, have the best uh, user experience, in your opinion? Oh, that's difficult. They all have their pros and cons. To me... What's important to you? What I need, what's important to me when I localize is context. I need a description right next to the string I'm translating mm-hmm. that tells me what this string is for, where does it live, that really gives me an idea of where is the user when they're looking at this specific string. What's part of the user journey? Exactly. Where in the user journey are we tapping into now? Because that makes a big difference. And that's that's the most important thing to me, to have a tool that can display that context right next to the to the string that I'm viewing. Often we get the context in our Jira tickets. That's how we hand over um, and, and, and solve projects. Mm-hmm. We do that through Jira or Jira. I'm not sure I'm saying it right. <laughs> There's a management tool, like a project management tool like Atlassian that have many great tools like Trello and Jira or Jira or Jira. <laughs> uh, it's from Scarlet's companies. How mm. is it saying? I don't know. But uh, many, 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 many product teams today work and uh, many like uh, Development sprints and stuff like that are working with uh, this tool called Jira. Exactly. So if you are having a new project, you open a task, right? Yes. Our, we have a, a project manager in localization mm-hmm. called Dana, and she sort of filters out all the localization requests that we get from other teams. And she makes sure that the teams have provided the right context for us. And then she sets a deadline. And then she tags us in those tickets and then we do the task and yeah, it's quite simple. So usually you get the context in Jira, in Jira and then add a link to one of the three localization uh, platforms? Yes, then we know which platform to use because we know, okay, this is a marketing task. Sometimes it might even take place in a, in a spreadsheet. Uh, for some marketing tasks, it's easier for them to upload the content in a... in an Excel file. So that's where we work sometimes. But mostly it's, it's one of these three platforms. We just know it because it's, that's how our workflow is. So we know exactly where to go to translate which strings. And we often have direct links, links to the strings that are released in that new task. So yeah, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It sounds like people that have come to work with you will be like doing a really efficient kind of workflow. Absolutely. I heard that you were hiring at the moment, right? We are. All right. We are hiring language specialists. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we're, uh, we're doing very well. We're growing and it's such an interesting time to, to join Get Your Guide. So if anyone's interested, please go to our website and check out our job section. Right. It's here in Berlin. 
really cool places, many restaurants, and you're going to work inside of a castle. Also, <laughs> if you're looking for a UX writing position in Berlin, Get Your Guide is where uh, you should look for, because there aren't many UX writing positions in Berlin. I'm looking every day uh, or every week, I would say, for a newsletter. The, there aren't much, but Get Your Guide, and this is how I got to know you guys, is when I just started posting your positions uh, and then we became uh, great friends yes um, great so check uh, get your red and positions so there is many products out there Berlin is exploding the tech scene here is amazing and you have many industries you have the fashion industry you have finance you have traveling so what is unique about being a writer in a traveling company it's unique because I think we are working for the best product you can. I mean, everyone loves travel. It's connected to a lot of good, positive feelings and a lot of anticipation. And that's a really nice mindset to tap into when we're writing product copy. There's a lot at stake because people are planning their vacation, they're taking time off, and they really want to just make it unforgettable and incredible. And if we then don't get the experience is right, then we risk screwing that up for them. Sorry, part my French. <laughs> um, but that's what I like about it, that it's an emotional product. And I think that, yeah, you, you have a certain personal interest because you know yourself what you appreciate when you're traveling. You don't want all the fuss and the insecurity. You just want a good experience and some good guides to give you some incredible extra knowledge. So you can experience your destination in the best way possible. And uh, yeah, so I think I love it because it's an emotional product. Nice. How fun it is like, to be in touch with people in the best, uh, you know, the best parts of their life and their travel. Exactly. I think, I think that's a privilege. We're, we're very lucky. Nice. People would, like, would love to speak with you. Is there any place they can find you? LinkedIn, Twitter? What would be the best place to reach you? I don't have a Twitter account, but you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. I've also written a few blog posts about the challenges of being a language specialist. So you can go to uh, get your guide and look I'll at our it in the show notes. Cool. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me in Yuval's uh, microcopy and your writing Facebook group. So please do reach out. I'm always happy to connect. And if anyone has questions or has happened to be a non-native language specialist who's sort of also a UX writer, then mm -hmm. I would love to, to talk. Thank you so much for being so uh, accessible and also for having patience to have me here for a second time. <laughs> of course. I think we got it this time, right? Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you, Yuval. Bye-bye. All right, so that was another episode of Writers in Tech. I hope you had fun and learned tons of new things. So currently, we are releasing two episodes of Writers in Tech every month. We have also a weird break on the Jewish holidays, but we try to release two episodes every month. Now, our goal at the moment is to release a single episode every week. Like we have a weekly newsletter on uxwritinghub.com. With every newsletter that we send, we also want to send an episode of the podcast. But creating a podcast is not a cheap thing and we don't have sponsors. So we need your help to reach 100,000 listeners. And by the way, we are already on our way there. Okay, We're not that far away from there. So in order to do it, we need you to take a few actions. Okay, You can share this episode on social media like Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook group, Facebook page, Slack channel. Instagram, TikTok, uh, Tumblr, anything. Okay, so just share it. 
You can also write a review and rate us on Apple Podcast because I heard it brings a lot of traction. Also, and this is my favorite one, you can send me personally feedback, yuval at uxwritinghub.com about our content, about the episode, how was it for you, what we can improve. And the content will improve based on your feedback. And then naturally more people will come. That's what UX is all about, right? That's it for now. Feel free to listen to another episode. Follow our weekly newsletter, uxwritinghub.com. And see you next time. Thank you.